So, do you know what today is? June 9th? Pentecost. Yes, it's something that we don't normally think about in terms of uh, calendar. We think about Easter and Christmas and we think about our birthdays and we think about um, all of those significant days. If we've lost a special someone, we know the day we celebrate that or we remember on that day, we remember D-Day, you know, all these significant days in history. But sometimes the church calendar gets pushed to the back burner. Unless it's Easter where we're gonna get chocolate or Christmas where we're gonna get presents. It's hard to remember what it is that the church celebrates. Today is one of those days. Um, if, if, uh, if, if you've been with us for a while since January, we've been kind of going through uh, the life of Abraham in Genesis, first book of the Bible. And if you look on the screen behind me, it says joy, and it's about Philippians. Well, we're starting a new series um, today on Pentecost. Um, to kind of look at this, this joy that Paul has in this book. Like as we read through it, you're gonna understand that like he just, it's full of joy. Um, and, and what that means and, and, and why he can be so hopeful, so joyful and rejoice um, in, in the midst of the circumstances um, that he's in. So if you wanna turn there, that would be uh, fantastic. Pentecost though marks, marks a day where things changed for the church in that, um, uh, the disciples end up kind of in an upper room after Jesus has ascended to heaven, right? Like, like they, they, they witness Jesus' life, they follow him for three years, they see his miracles, they see what he did, they, they, like they think, they kind of go through the up and downs of uh, following him and seeing all these grand miracles and then when the rubber hits the road, they kind of scatter and then, and then, and then like they, they have this amazing experience where they watch Jesus die and they go in despair and then someone comes and says, hey, no, 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 G- like Jesus has come again. He, like he's rose from the dead. He's, he's not dead. And they, and they have this like resurgence moment and where like there's celebration in this upper room and where Thomas, who's doubting, is like feeling the hands of Jesus and going, oh my, like what, what, what do we do with this, right? And then Jesus is with them for a few weeks and then he... They stand on a mountain and Jesus ascends to heaven and they're left there alone and their reaction is to turtle, right? Like they've seen all of these amazing things and they saw all of this amazing stuff with Jesus and they're like, yeah, Jesus is fantastic. He's good. We're on board with that. Like he is the son of God. He is, like he is who he says he is and we trust and believe him, but we're going to go and put ourselves in this little room here because we ain't Jesus. We're just not. We're scared. We know what happened to Jesus. If we would act like he's asked us to act, if we would teach like he's asked us to teach, if we would live like he's asked us to live, our fate is exactly the same as his. So we huddle in a room. And then Pentecost. There they are, sitting, waiting to see what's going to happen. Jesus has promised that there will be a helper that comes. They don't know what this is going to look like. And on this day, 2,000 years ago, tongues of fire come down. The Holy Spirit comes down and fills this ragtag group of people, people that doubt and went from from uh, Jesus calling him like Satan, get behind me, Satan, Jesus says to Peter, to, to like, oh, it's, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. And like this, this ragtag team, the the... the 
the Spirit of God comes upon them. And Peter stands up and preaches the gospel and shows, shows that Jesus is the coming Messiah. He is the one whom Israel's been waiting for, who the whole Old Testament talks about. And, they, and then he looks at the life of Jesus and says, look, like you need to repent of your wrongful thinking, of the way that you lived wrongly. You need to repent and you need to believe in this Jesus. And on that day, 3,000 people come to know Christ and the church is born. On that day, the Spirit of God moves and he, and, and he builds his church in radical ways. And the book of Acts is really just a history of this movement building. Because as these people are persecuted, Paul, who was persecuting them, has an encounter with Christ and becomes a chief apostle and gets sent out to the wider world to establish churches and preach the gospel. And the church goes as far as Rome and is built. But today, we think a bit differently about the church. I mean, in the West, there's a skepticism, there's a, a negativity, a shyness about what church is. In fact, there's, there's a lot of um, scholarly material on why it is that the West has become so secular and people are flocking away from the church. A regular attender would be considered one who comes once every two weeks and you know, a, a religious person who's religiously affiliated would be once every four weeks. And people have started to ask questions about like, well, why is this? Why is it that the church is dying? Why is it that people are not um, attending or believing as strongly? Why do we have this attrition with young adults? What does that look like? Mary Eberstadt, a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, wrote a book called How the West Really Lost God. And she kind of interacts with these ideas on why it is that, that uh, the church is in decline and why secularism seems to be on the rise. And she kind of comes up with a few main kinds of stories that have come along. One of those is that um, we've stopped needing imaginary comforts. That somehow the church was just there to, to speak myths into the world so that we would feel good about ourselves and good about the world. But now that we are more, that we understand more, we don't need that, that fake crutch. We don't need that mythology. We have truth and we can understand that. Another is that because of science and the enlightenment and our rational thinking that we've been able to understand how the world has come to be. We understand how it works. We understand how our bodies work, our minds work, how a black hole works. And because we understand that, we just assume then that we'll be able to figure out the rest of it. And we don't need the church to fill in those gaps. Or it's just because we're so materially comfortable that we don't need a church to tell us that we need God. We have all that we need. Or maybe it's because of geopolitical reasons and who's president and who was in charge and the world wars and, and all of that thing. And that's why secularism has come to pass. And that's why the church is dying. Recently, there was a study called Renegotiating Faith in where... Um, a group of people went to look at why it is that young adults, that those that are coming out of high school are not staying in church at record numbers. Millennials are not 
staying at church. It comes, it comes down to a lot of reasons around relationships and, and discipleship um, development. But it also has to do with the relevance of church. The track record. I mean, even us that sit in the church can look and see bad examples of the church. We can look south at Seattle a few years ago and see this mega church implode because of some poor leadership. We can see that in Chicago with a group of churches that were there, that there was just terrible leadership. We can see that in sex scandals and just sin working through the church, and we become skeptical of the church. But you see, Paul is not skeptical of the church. In fact, he is completely different. And I think that if we understand what it is that Paul is excited about, what Paul is excited about in the church, then we, will, we ourselves will begin to be excited about what the church is about. So would you read with me? Philippians chapter one, it will be on the screen behind us. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints of Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making of my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearned for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I read that and I don't think Paul's skeptical about the church. Like I, 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 I think that he is exploding with love for the church. Like when he looks at this church in Philippi, he is just ecstatic. My, my joy, like I'm praying in joy. It's like the affection of my heart. And then he uses this, this, this word where he talks about with all the affection of Christ Jesus. This, this word in Greek is actually not, our, is not his heart. He's actually saying with the colon of Jesus. Sounds really romantic, doesn't it? Like, oh, I'm just loving you with all of my colon, right? But like, Paul's coming with visceral reaction, with gut reaction. When he thinks about the Philippian church, when he thinks about who he's writing to, there is just joy and love and grace. He's just, he's excited about what's happening and who it's happening to and what's going on there. Like, it's just coming out of him, out of everything, he just almost can't contain it with all of himself. He wants to pray all the time with all joy because he's just excited. It's coming from his guts. And, th and this is coming from a place where Paul is now in prison, in Rome, waiting for his eventual execution. 
As he's sitting suffering for Christ and thinking about the free church out there, there is nothing inside of him but joy and love for the church. Why is that? Well, I, I think we have three things that we can see here. There's more, but we'll keep it to three because I'm long-winded. First, Paul understands the nature, the nature of the church. Verse one, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we see the word saint, we don't affiliate with that. Or maybe we do, depends on how your week went, how my week went. You know, we think, oh, saint is for somebody who's got it together, somebody who's kind of figured things out. So if you look back on your week and you kind of think, yeah, you know what? I make good decisions. I didn't fall into the sin I usually fall into. I was strong this week and I can look back and I can be proud about the things that I did. I, I didn't argue with my spouse like I normally do. I didn't, I didn't neglect my kids or I didn't watch that negative thing that I shouldn't watch or I, you know, I just, I was self-controlled. I got it together. Yeah, today I'm in sainthood. Like this Sunday, I feel like a saint. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're looking back at yesterday and you're thinking, ooh, Saint? No, I'm not there. I actually did treat my spouse like I ought not to. I did watch that which I shouldn't. Man, I wish, I, I, re I regret the way that I treated my kids this week. Yeah, I fell into temptation and I struggle, so I'm not a saint. You see, Paul doesn't see it that way. Paul doesn't call the Philippian church saints because they are good. Later on in the letter, he goes to correct them. Saying, look, you're not doing this well, and you need to do this better, and you need to think about this in a different way, and you need to use Jesus as your example over here. And Paul does this in every letter. Like when, he, when, when, when he's talking to the Galatians, he is addressing like foundational theological issues. He's like, look, you don't got it right, church, but you're a saint. When he's talking to the Corinthians, you remember when we, when we looked at the Corinthian church? Like, he's, he's there talking to the Corinthian church, and he's like, look, the pagan world is not doing what you're doing. You need to stop that, but you're a saint. See, Paul's definition of sainthood isn't on whether the church is doing good or doing bad, but it's on who bought them. It's on their identity. You are a saint. Not because of what this last week looked like, but because of who purchased you. And what it cost. Paul is looking at the Philippian church and understanding that they, that they were bought at a price. That they're called the church not because he did something or because they're doing good things, but because Jesus says so. So he's excited because 
They are Christ's. You notice that in verse 2? It's our Father. Paul is talking to these saints and he's saying, look, we share one Father. We are in the same family. Your value isn't, is, isn't in what you did yesterday. It is in who you are today because of Christ. Look, we, like if you find something on the side of the road, you find a couch on the side of the road that's like in half decent condition and you're like, cool, I can put that in my man cave and it'll be fine. You don't care if the dog sits on it or if your kids are holding a pop on it. If they spill, what does it matter? It's a free couch. But like, have you ever been beside someone who just bought a new car that they've been saving for? Like they've been saving for months and they've been researching on every, like this is the kind of motor it is and it doesn't just have like heated seats, it's got cooling seats too. I don't even know what cooling seats do. Like how does that work? All I know is the leather gets hot in the summertime. Right, and it, like these cars drive themselves and they're, you know, you save up for the right color and, and you want this feature and that feature and look at what my iPhone does. And so you save up and you buy it and when you go to Walmart, you park as far away as humanly possible, right? Like you ain't getting anywhere near someone who's gonna ding your door. This is valuable. You don't know how much I spent on it. Emotional time, money, I'm park, parking far away, and you want to see someone set their hair on fire, just ding, oops. My, my, one of my friends got, got a, a boat, and like you go to step inside, he's like, take off your shoes. I'm sorry, what? No, 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 take off your shoes. Why? Well, it's not even a new boat. Yeah, but I bought it. Take off your shoes. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, oh, okay. The, the value put on the thing purchased is determined by how much it costs, is it not? Paul, when he's, when he, when he's heading towards Rome, when he's, he's heading back to Jerusalem, and he knows that this is, this is the end of the road. He's going he's gonna to go to Jerusalem, he's going to get arrested, and now he's going to Rome. This has been prophesied. He understands it. There's been people who've told him, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. This is going to happen. But he's dead set to go that way. He stops in Ephesus to talk to the Ephesian elders, those that are responsible for the church in Ephesus, and say, look, this is your charge. And if this is your, this is your final speech, you're going to make sure that it is the important stuff. Right? You're going to waste time on small talk. You're going to get to it. And in Acts 20, verse 28, he says to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Now, why? Because it has been obtained with his own blood. You want to know your value? You were blood-bought. You are a saint because of what God has done. Paul is rejoicing in prison because he looks at the church and he sees a people set apart for God. They are holy already, 
Regardless of their struggles and difficulties and the things that they work through, their value isn't in what they did yesterday, but what Christ did 2,000 years ago. It is in who he is today and what he calls you and me. The church of God is not a bunch of people trying to be good. It is a blood-bought people that has been declared holy because God said so. See, Paul can be excited about the church because of its nature. Paul can be excited about church in prison because he can look and he can see a people, a family of God. Second, though, Paul is excited about the church because of its purpose. Verse 3 to 8, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul is excited about the church because he sees that the purpose of the church is not simply that that they were set apart for God, but that this is God's means of reaching the rest of the world. That the purpose of the church is that they would take the story of Christ, that they would take the truth of Christ, and they would pass it on to the next generation, that they would come alongside Paul, who came to them and said, look, this is life, and this is what you think it is, but let me show you Jesus, and let me change your life forever. And in so doing, that then would go into their hearts, and they would turn to their neighbor, and they would say, look, this is your life. Let me show you Jesus, and then your life would be changed forever. You see, Paul sees that the purpose of the church is partnering in the proclamation of the gospel. He calls them partners in the gospel from the first day. If you remember in Acts chapter 16 was where we first see Paul go into Philippi. It's kind of by miraculous circumstances he was going to go somewhere else. An angel of the Lord said, nope, you're not going that way. You're going down to Macedonia, which is the region that Philippi was in. And so he comes into Philippi and he finds this group of women uh, meeting by the river and he shares the gospel and Lydia comes to know Christ. And then she invites him into her home and this church starts. And as he's preaching the gospel, this, this, this little girl comes along who's like possessed by a spirit. And she just speaks the truth. And she's actually a slave girl. Somebody owns her and is making money off of her. You can pay me and she'll tell you something. So this little girl is behind Paul saying, This guy is here telling the truth. He's a servant of the one true God and just kind of going on and on behind him. And like Paul gets totally annoyed, right? Like this girl's just constantly behind him. And she turns around, shut up. Personally, this makes me feel really good because like at some point when it's like dad, 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 
dad, dad, you, you, just, you just had enough, right? Like, I'm in the middle of something here. In Paul's circumstance, he's just like, get out of her. And the demon leaves. I wish I had that. Right? Like, what kind of superpower is that? So he does this. And, 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 and like the owners are incensed. Are you kidding? You just took my, you took my financial gain away and a riot starts and they beat Paul and Silas like badly and bring them before a court and then they go and get put into prison. And while they're in prison, there's, a, there's a, an earthquake and the, and the doors open and the chains come free and Paul and Silas are there and the jailer who's responsible is like, oh no, the, the, like the, the, the prisoners have escaped and that means my life. Like in Roman law, if I let the prisoners go, that's my life, so I might as well die. So he goes to kill himself and Paul and Silas stay. And they say, no, 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 don't, 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 don't do that. We're here. We haven't left. And they have the opportunity to share the gospel with this guy who's like, I'm sorry, what, you didn't leave? That's a bit crazy, why wouldn't you leave? And this man comes to know Jesus and tends for their wounds, gives, washes them. Can you imagine Paul sitting now in a Roman prison, thinking about the Philippian jailer who tended to his wounds? Think, oh man, that's the purpose of the church. Preach the gospel. Come alongside those in need. Tend wounds. Make whole. Give grace. See, the Philippine church didn't stop there. They sent Epaphroditus to bring food, to bring money. As a prisoner, you were responsible for your own stuff. You couldn't get it, but you needed to have family on the outside who would support you. If you kind of cobble together the story of Paul, when he comes to Rome, there is a Roman church established, and they come and meet him. Somewhere along the way, they just forget him. When other people in 1 Timothy chapter, two, uh, chapter 1 come to find him, they actually have to, it says they have to diligently search for him because people didn't know where he was. So the, the Roman church has abandoned him. There he is in prison alone, and here comes the Philippian church. And if you remember the Philippian church from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we had a series on givings. The, the, the Philippian church was in Macedonia. It was said they were extremely poor, impoverished. And Paul uses that example to kind of encourage the Corinthians, look, you, you got lots, you got to give. But this poor church, this church who doesn't have anything is sending a man with money and food to Rome to, to, to support a man in, in prison. And Paul is saying, oh man, I am so grateful for the church. Look at its purpose. Yeah, yeah, there's scars. Yeah, there's things that need to be corrected. But man, my heart is full with joy. They are preaching the gospel. The church is growing and they are supporting me and those around them. They were partners, they were partakers in the gospel of grace. Whether he was in prison, whether he was defending the gospel, they were partners. 
2 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us to triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to another a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? See, Paul's vision of the church is that we would so exude the love and grace of Christ that we would smell like him and people would lean over their fence and go, what are you cooking? You ever do that? Walk out of your house? Somebody's, somebody's oh, someone's got a steak on. Oh, it's too bad we had craft dinner. <laughs> right? Or, I mean, Chilliwack has a smell. <laughs> My nose has died already. It's fine. But, but that, that's Paul's purpose. Look, look, Corinthian church. Look, Phil, Philippian church. Look, central. We, we are the aroma of Christ. That our words of the gospel and our interactions with each other and our interactions with our neighbors act as a smell. And it brings people closer. Or it sets them apart. See, Paul is excited about the church because that's the means by which God brings people to himself. You are the means by which God will bring people to himself. You are the means by which people will find themselves saints. God has ordained that those he has called, he has asked to proclaim him and in so doing draw people to himself. Paul's excited about the church because of its purpose. But he's also excited about it because of its purpose, because it actually proves to help us become more holy. Sanctification is kind of the fancy word for that, the process of becoming more like Jesus. If you look in his prayer in uh, verse 9 through 11, and it is my prayer that, you, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See that so that in verse 10? Look, my prayer of love and knowledge and discernment, my prayer that that would, that that would be manifest in your life is so that you may, be, you may approve what is excellent. So you may look at the world around you and understand what is good, right, and holy. So that when you act, you act purely and blamelessly. See, what I see is the function of the church is there to bring out the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of righteousness, that your life would be defined by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. See, I'm not praying this just so that you feel better. I'm praying this so that you actually get better. See, the function of the church is not simply to be there as a smell for or an aroma for Christ. It's intended then to make us more like him. 
Paul's excited about the church because that's the way God's going to do it. He's going to have people come alongside you and encourage you. He's going to have people come alongside and say, you know what, you're not doing that well. He's going to have people come alongside and say, you need support, here you go. You're not thinking well here. Paul's prayer is that we would be approved, that we'd be able to approve what's excellent, be pure and blameless and filled with righteousness. But he says, look, you're going to do that by having your love abound more and more. John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, says a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You're gonna know how God is going to accomplish his goals in the church. He's gonna do it by this love abounding more and more and more, a love for God and what he did in Jesus Christ that we understand and just have absolute affection for what God has accomplished in Jesus. And that love then, that experience of love that we have, that God poured out on it, this mercy and grace that he poured out on us is then going to, is going to overflow into those around us and we're gonna be able to see, look, I love my brother in Christ here and I'm gonna support him regardless of his circumstances. I'm gonna come alongside and say the hard thing and I'm gonna love him through the difficult thing and I'm gonna encourage him and his gifts. Why? Because I've been so loved. And then in that, it's gonna to overflow to my neighbors and people are gonna start putting their, their head over the, the, the fence and saying, hey, like, what's going on over here? Why are you so different? What's, what, what's, what's this about? But you see, we need to be careful here because this is not just a love that the culture talks about, that like love equals accept everything about everyone. Right, like that's, that's essentially the cultural narrative right now is look, look, if you want to love somebody, you accept them as they are, you accept them for who they are, you accept them for where they are, and that's just it. But Paul here kind of says, look, no, 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 your love needs to abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you can discern what's right and what's wrong. I think we, I think we get this. When, when uh, yesterday we, uh, we went to a wedding. Beautiful, weddings are fantastic, aren't they? And that like, here's two people who love each other, they're getting married, like everybody is happy, you go to the Go to the reception and people start to, to share their speeches about how much they love each other. And then it gets to like the, the, the parents kind of space, right? And the parents get to say what they want to say. It's so interesting to me that they're like, look, we love, we love our daughter or our son. We love them like crazy, but we're really happy they picked you. It was a smart choice. Like, we'll love you. Got that. But like, you made the smart choice, dear. Have you ever been at a wedding where a parent isn't excited about the spouse? I have. It's terrible. Like, the father of the bride speech is just like grinding, like nails on a chalkboard where he's like, well, I hope one day I will love you. And you're like, oh, man. Just like soul crushing. Because we understand that marriage isn't just built on this idea of love. 
Like, you just can't say, oh, it's just about love and that's all that it's about. No, no, no. Like, there's wisdom that comes in character, in making right decisions, in doing the right kind of thing. And that's what Paul's saying here. Look, my prayer is that your love would abound more and more. But man, with discernment, with knowledge, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when he writes to the Roman church, he says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your Mind, not heart, mind. function of the church is that, look, you would, you would preach the gospel and you would come together and you would study God's word and you would learn it and you would encourage one another and in so become mature and then be able to eat what he calls meat. And so this is his exhortation. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. See, Paul's message, the New Testament's message is yes, abound in love with discernment and knowledge of who God is and what he's called us to and what he has done in the world. Love your neighbor radically in truth. God's excited, or Paul's excited about the church because of its purpose. But he's also excited about the church because of its certainty. While pundits today are thinking about when the church will end, Paul understands that it is forever. Verse six, and I am sure of this Philippian church, central church, that he who began a good work in you, him who called you a saint, who bought you with his blood, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul has no illusions that somehow some Roman superpower or some other religion or some form of secularism will destroy the church because it is not the world's to destroy. God established it and God will see it to completion see Paul is excited about the church because this is a work of God man he went in he preached the word he was faithful to his calling but outside of that he had nothing to do with it God opened their hearts God changed their minds God drew them to repentance God is building them up God expanded them God built the church that we see today and God will continue till to until the day that he returns 
See, Paul is certain nothing can stand against the church because that's what Jesus said when he talked to Peter. When Peter had one of his moments of great, like mountaintop moments where he's like, oh, Jesus, you're the son of God. And Peter says, you're absolutely right. Or Jesus says, you're absolutely right, Peter. And on this rock, he says to Peter, I will build my church. Who? Jesus will build his church. Not Peter, not Paul, not James, not Jason, not Ron. Jesus will build his church. And because of that, the gates of hell will not prevail. Oh man, we have a lot to be excited about in the church. The vision of the church is so grand and so certain that it is a privilege to serve in it. It is a privilege to be, cons- to be considered a leader of that church. That I have the joy of standing here in front of all of you who've been bought with the precious blood of Christ and pretend that I can tell you what this says and hope that God works in your heart is an incredible privilege. And I'm so excited that I get to participate in the church. I'm so excited because of its nature, because of who you are. I'm so excited because of its purpose that I can see God working and molding you to be more like him. And I know of its certainty because of Christ. But the reality is, is that all of us pastoral staff love you. Man, we we have so much joy for you. We sit around every Tuesday and talk about these evidences of grace where God's moving in our church. And we just think, what a privilege to sit here as pastors of this church and be involved with these people. So I just want to invite the pastoral staff to come on stage. And Jingo, if you're here, would you come up too? It's a great privilege for us, to, for us to be able to serve you. And our, our goal is to celebrate you, to celebrate those who give their time and efforts and energy into this place because it's God's. And I've just asked Jingo to share. I, I happen to be a part of the life group I get to oversee life groups, and he's in a life group, and I was like, hey, Jingo, would you just share a little bit about what it is that, like, what impact the life group has on you? And so I just want him to have an opportunity to share a little bit about what life groups has done, and then we'll go from there. Thank you so much. Being involved in a small group has been uh, a wonderful experience for me, and uh, it's just like a breath of fresh air. Um, We meet once a week for Bible study, and... uh, we connect with one another. Uh, it's not just a Bible study. Um, we share good news, struggles, uh, issues, and we pray, uh, show love, encourage each other, 
and uh, uplift each other with absolutely no judgment. Uh, being in a small group has deepened my faith. A lot of the struggles that, um, that I've had over the years and ones presently, um, I've dealt with on my own and have failed. Every member of my small group has helped me teach, teach me who God is and, um, and has helped me uh, to walk with Christ every day. I am not alone um, in battles that I face and I don't need to be alone and face them alone. I also have accountability partners who hold me accountable uh, for the temptations or issues that I uh, deal with. This has drawn me closer to the church and to God. My small group is my family church, is my family, something that I didn't have before growing up in the Roman Catholic Church. As I continue to walk with God, I hope that someday I can disciple uh, to those that are in need and help spread the gospel. And now on June 23rd, um, I'm stepping, uh, taking that leap of faith and uh, looking forward to getting baptized um, and uh, being surrounded by my small group and family uh, to support me. First uh, Thessalonians um, 5.11 says, therefore, encourage each other, build one another up, just as in fact, as you are doing. Thank you. So, like, here, here's the thing: is 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 like Jingo's Jingo, Jingo's story goes much much beyond that. But it's because of his life group leaders that walk alongside him, that that serve in such a diligent manner that allows him to kind of wrestle through those issues. What does it look like? And 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 to wrestle through sin and to think about how it is that God meets you in that sin, and then and then to be encouraged to get baptized. I mean, the 23rd is going to be fantastic. I'm so sorry, man. The water's cold. We're We'll do it together. Apparently, I'm going in anyway. But look, we, we, we recognize that, that in all areas of this church, we, we don't run just because Tyson leads worship or because I lead life group ministries. It's because of those that volunteer that are the hands and feet. And so we just want to take a second to identify those people and celebrate you well. So I'm going to make you feel really uncomfortable, and you're going to have to stand when you're asked to. And because I know some people are shy, we're going to ask you to remain standing so it gets less difficult as time goes on. So if you're at the end, you're feeling, yeah, no one's going to notice. But let's just let, be brave. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. And, and we, we just want to recognize and celebrate you. So Ron's going to start. We're going to call them out if they don't stand, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah. I'm watching. Yeah, so Walt, we're watching you just yeah. so you know. It's <laughs> good. Um, I want to uh, celebrate three groups uh, that serve here at the church. Uh, I've been part of Central for just about 15 years now, and one of the things that has allowed us to be so stable and to be faithful to God's call is our leadership, uh, and, and in particular, our elders. And so I want to invite our elders to stand where they are. I don't think they're all here, but Mike, you've got to stand up. And where else are we here? I, there we are. Ernie are, is here. We had a couple of elders in the first service as well, and they're scattered around the um, the various campuses that we have, but uh, these men uh, lead this church. 
as pastors, we come up with ideas and we, uh, we facilitate those kinds of things, but it's always tested with our elders. And these are the, uh, the men, two of them anyways, uh, uh, that give leadership to our church. We're thankful for that. I also want to uh, recognize people who are involved in our stewardship team or in, in the count team, our finances. If that's part of you, Laura, uh, please feel free to stand. Oh, who said that? Stand up, Laura. John, where are you? I see you here as well. Uh, we have a, a this, these are, these are uh, two members of our account team. They, uh, they handle all of the funds. Oh, there we are. It's great to see you. <laughs> Jason was blocking you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, these folks handle the funds that you give and they're trusted with that. We also have a stewardship team that gives counsel to our elders around finances because we recognize uh, it's important and, and these are important gifts. Also, we have a huge maintenance team that helps take care of things, Walt, um, and others. If you've been part of maintenance, would you just stand so we can recognize you as well? Hands and feet of Jesus. Well, come on, man. He's gonna do double duty. He actually, Walt will be up most of the time. Uh, Walt and others who, who keep our facilities operating so very well. Just want to thank you for that. And there's another group of people that they weren't in the first, they're not in this service, they were in the first service who actually maintain our sanctuary. They go through, they put the pens in place, put the cards, all that kind of stuff that facilitates what God wants to do as people come to this place. We're grateful for you. Thanks, Ron. So, yeah, every Sunday uh, we uh, seek to uh, lead you, the central music team seeks to lead you and gospel-centered, Christ-exalting music and liturgy. And so uh, I'm so thankful for the musicians that serve you every Sunday. If you are a central musician, why don't you stand right now? And uh, particularly, I, I just want to uh, thank our, uh, a couple of our worship leaders at this campus. So Kiana, I already saw you up there, so you can stand, and then there's Romany up there. Um, these, these two uh, service and worship uh, leading as well, and so it's just as thankful for all the time that they put into um, crafting a, a service every Sunday. So thank you to all of our musicians. It's such a privilege to serve with you. Also, um, behind the scenes crew, the, you know they're doing their job when you don't notice any mics dropping or slides going crazy is our, our tech team. And so I invite those guys to stand up at the, uh, at the booth there, or if you're in the um, audience, you can stand as well. We're so thankful for these guys uh, in, the, in the work that they do. Also, just a couple of other Sunday morning things. Our prayer team, we're super thankful for them. If you are, serve on a Sunday morning prayer team, why don't you stand as well right now? Just the gift of, of prayer for our community to sit here, to cry with folks, to pray with folks, to encourage folks after um, services on Sunday. We're so thankful for you. And also just our communion team. If you uh, serve communion on a Sunday, uh, why don't you stand as well? And thank you so much, guys, for serving communion, for um, also uh, participating in the worship of the church, right, by uh, leading us in this incredible uh, act of worship and communion. So thank you, guys. It's my privilege to ask those who serve as volunteers in our kids' ministry program to stand up right now. And I know they're out there, so I'm gonna wait and use my mom voice. Thank you. There are also about 30 people currently serving already from nursery to grade six and our help desk. Uh, over 400 children come to this church across our four campuses. And because of you guys, they hear the gospel taught every single Sunday, and we are so thankful for you to serve so faithfully our wonderful God. Uh, I'd also like, on behalf of Pastor Jessica, 
to ask our women's ministry team to stand. Uh, these women uh, help Pastor Jess plan uh, the opportunity for women to study the word on Wednesday mornings and in people's homes in the evening. And these women love to do it. And they've had wonderful events and also tons of uh, just amazing things happening in that ministry as well. So thank you guys very much. Wonderful. My name is John. I'm the youth pastor here. And if you are a youth leader, why don't you stand up very quickly? Uh, altogether, we have around 40, I think it's around 45 youth leaders who every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Sunday night love students in this place, are leading small groups, uh, are acting as coaches and mentors and relationship guides. And just uh, our, our youth leaders wear a whole bunch of different hats. And so just thank you for investing in students because you're, you're helping uh, lead them closer to Jesus. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, if you are part of young adult ministry, why don't you stand up? Uh, our young adult ministry uh, encourages our students to continue walking in faith. And there's a, a few small groups that are happening and, and just want to thank you for your investment in that generation. Uh, Cause it is a pivotal time where, where we see students walk away and you're ensuring that they're being grounded in the church. So thank you for that. Uh, lastly, if you're involved in our outreach ministry, this is the ed center. Uh, we, we have a breakfast program, uh, Cyrus center, uh, we also have Youth Unlimited, uh, and, and every week there is outreach happening to some of Chilliwack's most vulnerable students. Uh, we have a team of, uh, I think it's around 20, that uh, helps with our Ed Center breakfast. And uh, we call it Ed Center breakfast, but the school calls it, and the students there call it church breakfast. And it's one of the, the only times where s students are going to interact with the church and it be a really, really good, positive thing for them. And so we want to... Um, just thank you so much for loving students because we got to we got to show them Jesus as we serve them breakfast. So awesome. Yeah, I don't need that, man. You don't need it. I'll take it. I'm last. Anybody who serves on welcome team, so who greets at the door, who works at the welcome desk, who does coffee ministry, probably everybody should sit down and then just those people stand because that matters uh, the most. Ushering, um, library, please stand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then, so I just want to take a second and say thank you. you. You do realize that most people who are new to church make a decision on a church within, within one minute. Like, th that's how much time we have. And it's because of your warmth that I get email after email that says, oh man, I just felt so welcomed. So thank you, thank you for saying hi to someone that you don't know or shaking warmly their hand or opening the door, which seems at the moment a very small task, but it is monumental in how people feel welcomed into a church that they thought they would never darken the door of. So thank you for that. And then life group leaders, you also need to stand. You can't get out of it. So... Yeah, most of them are standing already, which is good. But the, I, I need to say thank you to you because, because you, you are the primary way in which people feel care and discipled in our church. You, you pray for people. You come alongside them. You, you, you bring them meals when, when, when they're sick and, and, and you, you study the word with them and, and lead them closer to Jesus. So thank you so much. We also have a care team, 
which most of them are standing. If you aren't standing yet, you can stand. These are people who intentionally go to the hospital, visit those that are shut in, that can't make it here, the elderly. And it's just an, an arm of the church that is an incredible grace to us. We are, we are so thankful for your service. With joy, we come together and celebrate what you are doing here. And we are so privileged to be able to shepherd this group of people. So I just wanna pray over you the end of Philippians 1. That God would bless you. You can be seated though. Some of you are tired. Right? Let's, let's pray together. Father, it's, so, it's such a privilege to be counted among the saints. Someone who can look to the work of Jesus and know that, that we are holy because of what you've done. It's a privilege to be amongst those who you were refining to be more like you. And it gives us great confidence to know that you are building your church and that nothing will prevail against it. So Father, I wanna thank you for this church. I wanna thank you for their faithful service. I wanna thank you for the love and warmth and grace that is here. God, I pray, God, that, that, that love for you and love for the other and love for our neighbor and the world around us would just grow more and more in our hearts. God, that you would give us discernment and knowledge to go along with that love and that we would glorify you because of that. Oh, Father, would you by your spirit, would you help us to do what is excellent and to be pure and blameless? Would you help us to be filled with the fruit of righteousness for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.